As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, Morbidology listeners. Before we get on with today's episode, could I please request that you don't judge Morbidology on the early episodes? I'd recommend maybe listening from the newer ones backwards, because I honestly didn't find my feet in podcasting for quite some time. The quality of the early episodes, as well as the hosting, is not a true representation of Morbidology today, and I'm currently in the process of redoing them all. If you do listen to the earlier episodes, please don't judge the show on them and maybe give a newer one a listen before deciding if the show is for you. Thank you so much for all of your support, and now on with the show. Welcome to Morbidology. I'm your host, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Cults Uncovered, Mysteries Uncovered, and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. Join Morbidology on Patreon for exclusive episodes of Morbidology Plus, exclusive merch, ad-free and early release episodes, and much more. The tragic case of Elisa Izquierdo is an all-too-familiar tale of bureaucratic ineptitude. Her short life and brutal death was so horrendous that it reduced even the most hardened officers to tears. This case is particularly poignant because Elisa had a chance to live. Not just one chance, but many. A number of people knew of her suffering, yet they did absolutely nothing to help her. Elise was born three days shy of Valentine's Day in 1989 in Woodhall Hospital, Brooklyn, New York. Her father, Gustavo Izquierdo, was an upstanding citizen. 
He was a Cuban immigrant working as a chef in a homeless shelter, which was where he met Elise's mother, Awilda Lopez, in 1987. Awilda, on the other hand, was a struggling drug addict, and all throughout the pregnancy, she continued to abuse drugs. As a result, when Elisa was born, she had crack cocaine running through her veins. Elisa had been born a drug addict. Following her birth, Awilda continued to abuse drugs, and she lived an unpredictable and dangerous lifestyle. Gustavo understandably worried about the safety of Elisa, and filed for full custody, which was promptly granted. Elisa was said to be a very loving child. She was expressive and clever, and she had a sweet smile, twinkling eyes and long, dark hair. And Gustavo did an outstanding job as a father. He completely doted on Elisa. According to a neighbour, she was his life. Elisa, like Daisy said, was shy. She was very smart. When you asked her, how are you doing in school? I'm, I have all A's. He would always say that Elisa was his princess. Initially, Gustavo was clueless on how to raise a child, but with help from his co-workers and relatives, Gustavo quickly mastered diapering and feeding. Each morning, he would iron a dress for Elisa to wear and put her hair into braids or pigtails. When she was four years old, Gustavo rented a banquet hall to throw a party, marking her baptism. When the time came, Gustavo enrolled Elisa in the prestigious Montessori Day School in Brooklyn, where Barbara Simmons, who was one of her teachers, recalled, You couldn't resist that smile. Elisa always clung to people. She had so much love. When Prince Michael of Greece visited the school, he was so blown away by Elisa's kind heart that he offered to pay her tuition up until grade 12. However, just as things were finally on the upswing in Elisa's life, an affidavit was signed which stated that Awilda had overcome her addiction and now had a permanent accommodation at the Farragult Houses in Brooklyn with her new husband, his children, and the two children that Awilda had before Elisa. On paper, it appeared as though Awilda finally had her life back on track, and now she wanted her daughter back. Awilda was subsequently granted unsupervised weekend visitation with Elisa. Awilda's two eldest children soon informed Awilda's relatives that during these visits, Awilda would brutally beat Elisa and claim and claim that she was possessed by the devil. One would think that upon hearing this information, these relatives would take it straight to authorities. Sadly, however, they didn't. Elisa returned from the visits with her mother, scared and withdrawn, and not her usual giddy self. Gustavo and a number of Elisa's teachers noticed that she often arrived back home from these visits, bearing bruising. On one occasion, Elisa had bruising around her genitalia. It was observed by Gustavo that Elisa had started to wet and defecate the bed, but often threw up once returning home from a wilder. Gustavo went straight to New York Child Welfare Administration to report these findings, as did one of Elisa's teachers. Elisa herself even confessed that she was being abused by a wilder to a social worker, yet the court allowed these visits to continue. Next, we will hear from Elisa's school friend. 
She had um black and blue, black and blue, a lot right here, a lot right here, and a little bit on her face. She, she um, she didn't say nothing about her bruises and stuff. Gustavo applied to have the visitation rights ceased. Tragically, the courts denied his application, and the visitations were allowed to continue. By 1994. Gustavo had purchased plane tickets and had planned to move back to Cuba, taking Elisa with him. Sadly, however, Gustavo and Elisa never made the flight, and Elisa lost the one stable thing in her life. In May of 1994, Gustavo checked himself into the hospital, complaining of respiratory complications. He died from lung cancer on the 26th of May. 1994, the very day they were scheduled to leave for Cuba. The death of Gustavo was the nail in the coffin of Elisa escaping her abusive mother and ultimately her untimely death. Upon Gustavo's death, Awilda filed for full custody of Elisa and was supported by social workers and Elisa's court-appointed lawyer, who claimed that Elisa wanted to be with her mother. Awilda was subsequently granted temporary custody, and upon hearing this alarming news, Elsa Canzanares, Gustavo's cousin, also filed for custody. The head teacher of Elisa's school, and even Prince Michael of Greece, wrote letters to the judge, informing him of the torment that Elisa had experienced at the hands of her own mother. They all argued that Elisa wouldn't stand a chance if she were placed into the custody of her mother. Regardless of the mounting evidence as to why Awilda was not a suitable mother, in 1994 she was granted full and permanent custody of Elisa by Judge Phoebe Greenbaum. As a matter of fact, this wasn't the first time that Greenbaum had made a questionable choice in granting custody. Back in 1979, she denied a father custody of his 10-year-old son, stating that the boy's grandparents were his psychological parents. Furthermore, Greenbaum wouldn't have been sitting on the bench if then-Mayor Abe Beam had listened to the objections of the City Bar Association. Sadly, the decision she made to place Elisa back with her mother was a decision that would prove to be fatal. As soon as Elisa moved in with her mother, the abuse continued. Elisa was taken out of her prestigious school and sent to a public school. Here, she was reported as being withdrawn and uncommunicative. She was also reported to be riddled with bruises and often appeared to have difficulty walking. Teachers became concerned for her welfare and reported suspicions of child abuse. However, these reports were discarded due to apparently being not reportable. Awilda subsequently withdrew Elisa from the school. Now, Elisa had nowhere to escape her mother, her tormentor. She would be locked in her bedroom 24 hours, 7 days a week. Elisa wouldn't even be allowed out to use the bathroom and would be forced to defecate the bed. Awilda started to tell relatives that Elisa was possessed by the devil and that she had been put under a spell by her father. According to Awilda, the devil needed to be beaten from the child. Awilda's brother, Rafael Nahones, and her sister, 
Monserrate Torres said that they believed the tall tales of Elise's demons, and therefore never questioned the abuse that was being inflicted on Elisa. Neighbors would also say that they frequently heard Elisa screaming for help and begging her mother to stop hurting her. We thought it was their way of disciplining the kids, said neighbor Tony N.G. Um, I did see Elisa a few times in the neighborhood. I saw her in the grocery store. And I did notice that Elisa was a little bit shy, you know, down. I saw Wilda with all the other kids, too, and, and her husband, Carlos. And I am sorry that I did not do something, you know, to come to her attention, to do, to see if she needed some help. And I think that everybody should go out there, any mother that you see that is on drugs, on alcohol, and, and you know that all these kids, please don't stay shot. Please go out. Don't wait for another kid to get killed. The apartment was a home of horrors, to say the very least. Elisa would be forced to eat her own excrement. Her head would be used as a mop. She would be beaten with various objects. She would be burnt and she would be sexually assaulted with a hairbrush and a toothbrush. Elisa was deprived of food while she watched her half-siblings chow down on dinner every single night. Carlos Lopez, a Wilda's husband, would even encourage his own children to hit Elisa. On the 15th of November, 1994, Awilda called her sister and told her that Lisa was, quote unquote, like retarded on the bed, and that she had some sort of fluid leaking from her nose and her mouth. This fluid was brain fluid. Awilda's sister said that she offered to look after her other children, while Awilda took Elisa to the hospital. Awilda declined the offer and instead left Elisa on the bed and carried on as though nothing was wrong. By the following morning, Elisa still hadn't moved, so Awilda invited a neighbour inside to view the body. Upon viewing Elisa's lifeless body, the neighbour immediately called 911. Firefighters and emergency medical service crew responded to the report. Fireman Michael Brown began CPR, but it was sadly much too late. Elisa was dead at just six years old. Her lifeless body reflected years of abuse. She had numerous injuries, which included broken fingers, burns and cuts over her head, face and body. She had internal injuries and one finger bone was protruding through the skin. There were 30 marks across her body that first appeared to be cigarette burns. However, they actually turned out to be impressions from a ring. An autopsy also revealed that her genitalia and rectum bore signs of trauma, including tearing. It was shown that all of the injuries had been sustained over a period of time. It was evident that Elisa had essentially been tortured from the moment she entered the apartment. Ultimately, her cause of death would be brain hemorrhage. Following her arrest, Wilda claimed that she hadn't killed her daughter. During an interview with Rolanda Watts, Wilda claimed that somebody else must have broken into her apartment and killed Elisa while she was asleep on the couch. She was like, oh, like, like down, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like this. I said, what's wrong, Elisa? And then she told me um, that she had a headache, right? So then I told her, 
I came and I told her, you want to eat? And then she didn't want to eat. She didn't want to eat. She was like, squeezed her teeth, like going like that. So then I touched and she was like getting cold, right? So then I came and I opened her mouth because my family get epileptic attack. So I came and I opened her mouth, right? I opened her mouth and I tried to give her mouth to mouth and, you know, pump her like that, but I know how to do, you know, CPR, but I tried the best I could have. So then our tears kept turning, like, cold and more cold and tightening her mouth more. So then I just kept on and pumping like that and, and breathing. And I told, I was telling my son that, what can I do? Because I don't know what to do. And then um, I kept, you know, holding her and everything and just keep breathing inside her. I picked her up, I checked her, everything, and, and nothing. So then um, I kept on and then, you know, water was coming like out her mouth. When I would have pumped her like that, like water would have come out. So then I put my hand like that in her hand. I didn't feel nothing. I put my ear in her heart, and her heart wasn't beeping no more. And I told my son that, that she died. And then there, I just um, panicked. And then I came and I covered her with the blankets and the quilts and everything. And I just kept drinking and drinking it saying she was going to come back alive, and she never did. Then the night I cook and everything, then the night came, nothing. And then I still sleep on her. I slept on the bed. Telling her she was going to come back alive, and she never did. She later changed her story and tried to blame her husband, Lopez. She said that Lisa had bit him while feeding her, and he hit her. However, at the time of Lisa's death, Carlos Lopez was serving time in prison for stabbing a wilder 17 times with a pocket knife. Who so killed Elisa? Like, uh, um, Lopez, Lopez had hit her, right? Like, before he went to jail. You're talking about yeah. Carlos? Yeah. Before How he did he hit her? He said that he bit, that Lisa bit him in the hand, and he was hitting her, and then um, I went in the room and everything, I told him to stop already and everything, but he already had hit her. We did our research, yeah. a wilder. They tell us that Carlos was here at Rikers Island November 15th through March 4th because he violated parole after he stabbed you said more almost 20 times. Yeah. He was not out. He was inside. So some might deduct that he couldn't possibly have hurt or murdered Elisa because he was here he in was, jail. He, I know he was in jail. So how could he have killed Elisa if he was here in jail? But he, he had hit her, right? He had hit her. But like I say, I know I didn't kill her. I know I didn't did it. From prison, Lopez said that he had been targeted by death threats and that he feared for his own life. He also made the astonishing claim that Wilda was a good mother and suggested that Elisa may have inflicted with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Some of her own injuries. As her lies crumbled down around her, Awilda eventually confessed 
that she had thrown Elisa head first into a concrete wall two days before the ambulance was called. She revealed that Elisa hadn't spoken or moved since the incident. Medical examiners were horrified at the sight of Elisa and couldn't even begin to imagine the torture that she had endured by somebody who was supposed to be her caregiver. Elisa's body wasn't claimed for a number of days, but then a couple of local people, who were traumatised to learn about what had happened right under their noses, raised enough money so that Elisa could be given a proper burial. Um, we started up a collection to bury Elisa. We thought that Elisa um, needed to be buried with dignity, because at least she didn't have it in while well, she was alive, so at least let, let us give, put her to rest in peace. As children across New York were celebrating the season's first snowfall, Elisa was being laid to rest. Before the funerals, Elisa's half-brother and half-sister were allowed a private viewing. Nine-year-old Reuben tearfully asked the social worker, who was accompanying them, if she would be going to heaven. During the funeral, the Reverend Gianni Agostelli blamed the silence of many and neglect of child welfare institutions for the death of Elisa. He asked the mourners, who are the silent partners of this tragedy? There is no easy answer. The Daily News wrote in their front page editorial, Elisa Esquierdo is finally at peace. May her mother never find a moment of it again. Elisa's relatives on her father's side had wanted to bury her beside him at a New York cemetery. Their wish was overruled by a Wilda's family who gained custody of her body. Snow blanketed the grounds on Cypress Hills Cemetery where Elisa was to be buried, following the sombre funeral at Ponce Funeral Home in Bushwick, Brooklyn. She would be buried in a white coffin so small that there was only room for four pallbearers. At the front was Elsa Canizares, Gustavo's cousin who had fought for custody of Elisa. In her coffin, Elisa had a white lace dress over her head, she had a garland of white flowers that couldn't quite mask the numerous bruises dotted on her face, which was frozen in sadness. Beside her in the coffin was a Barbie doll that her father had given her and two teddy bears. As the dainty coffin was lowered into the ground, mourners threw in pink carnations. At last, Elisa was finally safe from all of the adults that turned her short life into unimaginable agony. Okay. If I would have to do my life all over again, and Lisa there, well, I wouldn't get help. First of all, I wouldn't get help, you know, put her in a place where they could help her, would talk to her, counseling, everything. Like foster care? Yeah, you know, to help her and everything. And uh, me get psychological help, psychiatry help, do all those things. Mm -hmm. What are you doing while you're in here? What I do? Yeah. Do you, do you take classes? Do you have therapy? Do you? Yeah, I got therapists. I got mental health. I got um, social um, psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. And what do you do I in can, a typical day? What I do? Mm -hmm. uh, usually, I read the Bible. Be in my room. I write. If you had a chance, and let's say yes. you got God works mysterious ways. You had a chance to talk to Elisa some way, somehow. Yes. What would you say to her? Well, not the best picture, is, but I don't. 
Because this is my daughter. Mm. And I love my daughter. And I'm sorry because I would have spanked her and everything. But Lisa, you know, and God knows, and I know, Mommy, that I didn't murder you. And I got to pay for a murder that I did not even did to you. But someday we will be together again. In June of 1996, Awilda Lopez pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. She cried during the court proceedings in Manhattan Supreme Court, before finally admitting that she had hit her daughter. Assistant Manhattan District Attorney Don Henkin said that Wilda had hit Elisa after she defecated in the apartment and then hit her head off the concrete wall. He said, Elisa languished unconscious in the apartment until the next day with brain fluid leaking from the ear. Eventually, Wilda confessed that yes, she had hit Elisa's head off a concrete wall and left her in the apartment to slowly die. According to Wilda's lawyer, she was horrified by her own actions. Prosecutors had agreed to Wilda's second-degree murder plea, purely to spare her two surviving children the trauma of reliving Elisa's death at a trial. The judge said that Wilda was not alone to blame for Elisa's death. He lambasted the child welfare system that had failed the youngster. Typically, the crime committed would have carried a minimum of 25 years to life sentence, but Wilda was sentenced to a measly 15 years to life, where she has received all of the protections of the legal system, the very same system that failed to save Elisa. The results of these investigations illustrate the inadequate uh, casework on the part of both Elisa Esquerdo's caseworker and her supervisor. Uh, today's action by the Administration for Children's Services marks a powerful step in the right direction for our city's child welfare system. Today, uh, the, the new commissioner of uh, the Administration for Children's Services, uh, Nick Scapetta, is announcing the results of his uh, investigation. It is alleged in the charges that the caseworker failed to conduct um, home visits, failed to keep adequate records, uh, failed to uh, perform in the way that he should have. What these charges take into account is an allegation, a set of allegations that the caseworker and the supervisor totally failed to perform on this case and a large number of other cases. Both the caseworker and the supervisor uh, are, are uh, suspended without pay. Uh, the maximum period of time that we can do that is for 30 days. Uh, we will institute the proceedings immediately, um, and uh, we hope that we will have a prompt resolution. That we can't expect that the child welfare system is going to eliminate all instances of abuse or of problems. What we need to see is improvement. We need to see the number going down, the number being reduced, more professional treatment of cases, uh, I believe we're seeing that already under Commissioner Scapetta. We're going to see more and more of it. The tragic life and death of Elisa Izquierdo became a symbol of the failures in New York's Child Welfare Administration and Family Court, who allowed this little girl to slip right through the cracks and into her early grave. The story became a national disgrace and lawyers would cite the case as an example of chronic and systemic problems for years to come. A city welfare caseworker was fired, and a former supervisor was disciplined 
for failing to recognise the warning signs of the abuse. The caseworker in question was Adriano Avalo, and an investigation found that although the Child Welfare Administration knew of the abuse, Avalo ignored the signs that the abuse was increasing and failed to make family visits. It was also Avalo that recommended that a will to be granted custody of Elisa. Elisa's death sparked an overhaul of the child welfare system, and by 1996, the mayor declared that he would abolish the city's child welfare administration and rebuild it from top to bottom. He also signed Elisa's law into legislation, which was designed to balance the need for increased accountability through public awareness and government oversight. In 2020, Wilda Lopez has another parole hearing, and therefore, another chance at freedom. Well guys, that is it for this episode of Morbidology. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. If you enjoy Morbidology and want exclusive episodes of Morbidology Plus, please feel free to join me on Patreon. You can join for as little as $1 a month and cancel any time. You can also sign up annually and save 15%. Big thank you to everybody who has simply listened to an episode, commented on an episode, shared an episode. All of the support is very much appreciated. Also make sure you visit us at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe and have an amazing week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.